welcome to the Irish Writers Podcast. Maura here. This week I met with author Kevin Curran, who has two books published with Liberties Press, Beatsploitation and Citizens, which was published earlier this year. It coincides with the nicely with the 1916 centenary, um, because his book has two timelines in it, one covering the events of the rising in 1916 and one in present-day Ireland. So apologies for the sound quality we have a bit of background noise on this recording. So today I'm talking to Kevin Curran. Welcome to the Irish Writers Podcast. Hello. Um, so, so just tell us about your latest book. My latest book, uh, my latest book, Citizens, was published in January. I think, not intentionally, but yeah, it worked out well to coincide with yeah. all the centenary celebrations. Uh, it's a dual narrative, mm-hmm. 1916 and 2011. Couldn't quite make the hundred years, right you know. There. No, just didn't make sense for the book. Um, we have a narr- we have a Pate newsreel cameraman yeah. from 1916 who had a camera during yeah. the rising. And uh, in 2011, we have a, a young lad called Neil who was about to emigrate, and he finds out that his great grandfather was the Pate newsreel cameraman, and that he he has stashed away the film somewhere. So Neil has to number one see if he can find it, and number two when he finds it, decide what to do with it. And uh, as a dual narrative, the 1916 voice has left kind of a diary of sorts that he reads. And so he deals with the two things. So you're working in those two timelines. Were you you always conceived of the idea with the two timelines? No. um, It was always, I always wanted to do a 1916 book. Always. As far back as, even before my first book. Like, I started writing Beatsploitation, my first book, in 2010. 2011, it was published in 2013, but about 2012 I started on the new book, Citizens, and I always wanted to do, my great-grandfather took part in the rising, his name was Harry Colley, so in this book I call him Harry Casey, and I always wanted to, to in some way engage with what he did and try and imagine it to be as a reader and a writer, jump into his life, I tried to uh, write him from his first-person perspective. He left a kind of a small 120-page, you know, Bureau of Military History uh, account. Wow. So, yeah, but there was so much not said in it, you yeah. know, reading between the lines, because he was very self-conscious of the fact that it would be read, mm-hmm. you know. So I found it fascinating what he said, but then what he didn't say was even more fascinating. And I always wanted to say, for me, when I'm writing, like I've said it before, like in my room, late at night, when you're writing, it's, to me, it's... It's the one pure way of kind of escapism. You can do it in reading, but if you're creating a world and you're lost in that world, I find that amazing. I love it. It might only last for 20 minutes, and then you come out of that kind of zone of writing. But for those 20 minutes, I was Harry Collier. I was in where he was, and I was feeling, you know you know yourself, you're putting down what he's feeling, what he's seeing. And so that, to me, was more gratifying than any reading I could do on 1916. So that's where Harry Collier came from. Yeah, and as a writer, I wanted to then move on from because my first book was just a very plain A to B first person narrative. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to just try and push on a little bit and just try and do a dual narrative yeah. and in some way see if they could speak to each other, not literally, metaphorically through mm-hmm. the ages. And, yeah, and Ireland and no. So, so what was the most challenging thing about those two timelines? Uh, the 1916 voice I researched really heavily. But the good thing I did for 1916 was I kept myself close to only basically three or four books that were the foundation texts. So one of them was a book on that I used cameraman, his autobiography, so I kind of used all that for the jargon. And then I was lucky enough to, as I said, have Harry Collins' book. And so I kind of used that and I took a basically a dictionary of phrases and even sentence structure for 1916. I even used Sherlock Holmes. I know that's the 
like late, late 19th century, but I wanted the reader to give, I needed the reader to know when they were reading this was old writing. Yeah, the way language has changed in the hundred years. So I typed all of that at my desk upstairs uh, at the computer screen, typed. Whereas for the modern day writing, the 2011 story, yeah. I wrote longhand. I do write longhand. Okay. You know, I have my copy with me here, my, my book, yeah. and I write all my books longhand. Yeah. I'd write maybe 30, 40, 50, 60 pages longhand, and then go and type them up. Mm -hmm. So it's a certain kind of freedom in the longhand. Yeah. So kind of my approach was different. In so the that writing. resulted in very different than language and yeah. narrative. Yeah. And yeah, I think even like I've heard Kevin Barry talks about kind of um, an energy kind of uh, he talks about energy from streets and things like that. You know, yeah. you get it, and if you're in that place, you can kind of get the energy from it. So I was kind of the same kind of thing, trying to tap into like a different phys physical way of writing to see them when it trans transfer some way into the page. And I think it did. Like the, if you're typing, it's a different feel, a different rhythm for me to the longhand pen and so it has a different the, the, the word should have a different feel I remember talking to someone about this before saying like, you know how do you write oh I type I said yeah well I write he said well how do you do how do you write poetry oh I never type poetry with longhand I said well what's the difference why would you how come you do that longhand poetry but yet you type your books oh that's a good point so it's interesting how people approach yeah. the actual physical act of writing yeah. you know so that's that, well, that's that is it's really interesting that that like having two different approaches to the two different timelines mm. then produces something that's quite different yeah. and then did you then how did you kind of put them side by side or intermingle them a lot of a lot of thinking yeah. it's, it's you know, uh, Haruki Murakami, he goes for long marathons and runs, yeah. and you can see why he's think yeah. I'd be the same. Because when do we ever get a time to think? You have to think. Yeah. Uh, so much writing, yeah, but like, I knew the story, the, the modern story where I wanted to go, and I knew the old story where I wanted to go. But like then, as you're writing it, it's probably in the draft process, you want the two of them to speak to each other mm -hmm. in some way that is non-neutral, you know? Yeah. So that was just a lot of thoughts, you know, how can I make this happen? And, you know, it's just thinking you know literally just obviously getting it down on the page and yeah. then the same way how can I shape this probably in the draft folks it would have been probably did about I'd say eight nine ten drafts so it would have been probably you're talking the later drafts probably six seven eight, yeah nine, you know just kind of kind of nuance kind of uh, echoes from each other yeah. pe yeah, readers picked yeah. up on it said well it's amazing the way you kind of merge the two and have yeah. the stories and then you'd have to make sure that you've got the flow and they're, they're, they're bouncing off each other, yeah. like catalysts for each other. Yeah, yeah, like that was very important, kind of chapter yeah. spacing somewhere you did it, and yeah, for pacing and for yeah, things like that. Yeah, you'd be mindful of where you put the story. Like, I would have cut, for the modern story, I would have cut probably 20,000 words, 30,000 words in the writing of it. And for the Harry Colley story, Harry Casey story, I would have cut. 10, 15,000 words as well, just to make it all kind of sit and copy and change around chapters. So you, you drop off Harry Colley 1916 yeah. and you're wanting to see what happens next, mm -hmm. but you have to read through 20 pages of 2011. Yeah. My problem was when I was writing it, I was like, I, an agent, a big agent in America, was reading the, an early draft of the book, and it was, wasn't great. They said, Give us more 1916, less 2011, or it was too depressing. Mm -hmm. I said, Well, that's the book I want to write. But I was worried. I, I was I was loving the 1916 myself, and I said, "Is this too? Is this too gripping?" Or 2011 isn't. So it was just a worry. But then other readers say, "Oh, we love 2011. We're mad 1916." So you get the you know, it's kind of like, it is literally two books in one. Um. So when you were, so you said you were, you started wanting to write this 1916 book. And was it in the research of that that you thought that that had really relevant things for today's Ireland? Yeah, I think just growing up with it with my great grandfather, I knew all this. He was always hanging over me like, 
he was like 26, 27 when he took part in the Royce and I was 26, 27, just doing nothing in Dublin, you know, I was getting drunk all the time and always in the back of my mind was like, if I was to march down O'Connell Street in 1960, would I literally go to the GPO or would I be running the other way? Yeah. So these kind of teams and issues had always been, always been with me since I first read it, yeah. you know, and what is a good, what is it not the problem, what is a good hero for Ireland? And what is it even, what is Ireland? These questions were always there, you know, as I said, I did the masters in Anglo-Irish literature, yeah. so these questions were there, and I saw it was a really interesting way of using a pattern, use your camera, because yeah. you're, you're bringing in the physicality and the, yeah. the visual and the image, we all know how big the image is, yeah. the idea of the image yeah. in the 21st century, yeah. so it was a good way of bouncing ideas off each other, yeah. and it worked, yeah, I'm happy with it, you know. So you have took this inspiration from your own family, from, from yeah. your grandfather, what for you then was the point of departure between the fact and what you had and, and what you know of that person yeah. and where you push that into the fiction. Yeah. Um, well, for me, it was, it was quite simple because I kept, I had the template from his, he writes in his 120-page uh, Bureau of Military History yeah. book that he writes about 120 pages and about 40 of them in 1916 because it goes up as far as the War of Independence. So I literally used every movement he made from the Monday of the Easter Rising, he has ended on the Thursday. So he used four days yeah. for the whole book. So I used every movement he made, but within that, I made it. Yeah. So the departure, like if you were to read his and read mine, you'd be like, wow, okay, so you're basically taking everything, everywhere he goes, everywhere he goes, but I just literally stuck a camera in his hand there. So it's the skeleton then yes, yeah, yeah. Of, of that journey. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. And then I obviously there's flashbacks to his youth, and when he gets his first camera and things like that, um, that's totally made up. But the skeleton, I just found it maybe for my imagination much better when you have. I had his places, yeah. so that I kind of I was restricted. I restricted myself by saying, "Well, you have to go where he goes," which is good because it gave me places to go yeah. and kind of a real strong structure to hang it off and a bit of authenticity as well. So did you, know? you did you have this like I ended up talking with with Katrina about this as well, this strong sense of place. Was that yeah, a huge core? yeah, it's huge in 1916. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's as big in the 2011 pieces, but yes, yeah, I don't think it is. But yeah, for 1916, definitely. You know, not over the top, but yeah, because like I was like the simple things. I remember from 1916 going to Town Street, talking about like a sense of place. Uh, in about three years ago, on around like 20th of April, you know, before all the hullabaloo, I went to O'Connell Street and stood, taking a picture of, stood, uh, looking at the GPO with a camera, yeah. and took a picture of where my shadow was yeah. put, so I'd know a hundred years previous where to stand with a camera, where the sun would be at that time of day, you know. You know, where you stand up or to the riverside or the riverside or when you stand across the road, because like, where would the cameraman? He doesn't want the sun to be in his lens. Mm -hmm. So, uh, things like that kind of, I think, then enhance the sense of place that kind of, again, give you kind of an authentic kind of feel. But yeah, 1916 was very, uh, yeah, real sense of place. Not as much obviously as Katrina's because her books mental, really <laughs> yeah, detailed and dumb. Yeah. No, it's really interesting because yeah. I think we, we on the podcast have talked about that before. So one cafe is writing a book that's very much a Dublin mm -hmm. book, you know, and we've just talked about it as well. Also, you know, even in fantasy, you, you're trying to create this world and, and have a very lived-in sense. And it's very challenging, you know? It, it is, and it's, as well with kind of... Because it was my first time obviously doing a bit of historical fiction. And you don't overdo the the place, the sense of place. And so as I was doing, I was trying to think, well, how would we write 2011? Yeah. You know, as long as if you're describing every street corner in 2011, you don't, you know, in your modern fiction, you would. So you have to be so nuanced. And I said, well, we got to do the same kind of 
a little kind of flash or a little piece here and there from 1916 and I think it works you know but it's the details then that kind of like a magic trick that the reader goes well okay that how does he know that it's like, you know it's something that you googled or you read in someone else's autobiography mm-hmm. and it's a, a sentence or a line or a phrase that you put in you know things like penny stamps you know people are like wow that's so authentic I just grabbed that from someone else's yeah, head over yeah, the time sure. so you can you can find that so with you it's, it's a sense of place geographically and historically time wise like yeah. you have to make sure that you know what you're writing is true to 1916 Dublin 100% you yeah. Know, yeah which is quite a different place actually yeah you know. yeah as you find when you're writing you know um, language the way they spoke sentence structure um, I, I listen to a lot of not podcasts, but um, recordings that are on the National Archives of people who took part in 1916 talking. And you're just taking down notes of the words they use yeah. and the way they start their sentences. So yeah. how did you do all that in the period of time when you wrote this book? Just or was this a, is this like a long time leading up to writing this book? Uh, it was just while doing it. Yeah. Who did I read recently says, I think it was Don DeLillo says, he does, he does no research till he's finished just first drafts okay. I think it was the little and then he goes back and I was like oh wow okay cool because uh, I did the research as I was doing it yeah. like I read nothing for but I've been doing this book I was, writing, I was writing the book for two years two and a half years three years maybe. I read nothing but yeah. 1916 kind of no it wasn't 1916 historical books I was yeah. reading like uh, O'Flaherty, I was reading uh, a lot of Joyce. Obviously, I was reading uh, any 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 writers. Uh, I can't even think of the names. Like my brain is just. It's but that was your filter. Yes. Like what is relevant to? Yeah, any literature of yeah. the time I read, not necessarily yeah. historical books, and I read a few autobiographies and Ernie O'Malley, lads like that, just to get the language yeah. and how they spoke, and that was you know drenched in that. So I didn't get much chance to read contemporary fiction. Yeah. I reread a lot of contemporary. I reread a lot of books that I wanted the contemporary piece to be like. I keep on coming back to that as a writer. I read the same books because I want to be those books. Coatsy, Coatsy, Seraph Kamoida. I reread Disgrace, okay. say about three or four times because yeah. to me it's just an amazing book. It's written in the present tense. I like to write the present tense. As a nasty protagonist, I like nasty protagonists. It has a great flow to it, you know, a good kind of three act structure within it. And uh, obviously, once he's won the booker and he's, a, you know, he's huge. So is, that, is that, you know, for you, the driver, like you want to, you read something and you think, I want to write like that? And that's yeah, I want, like, not obviously, yes, yeah, South African version. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to kind of. Yeah, yeah, like the it, same thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. His, his, his books are slim books. Yeah. And like my past, you know, Beats Potation was 300 pages plus, 90,000 words, and the new one, Citizens, is. 90,000, 85,000. I'm like, I want to somehow squeeze them down. So, is that, is that what you think is your main challenge as a writer then? Like, that you, you're now trying to get yourself more succinct or more, mm. you know? Yeah, again, I'll go back to Don DeLillo, as you can see. Uh, yeah, Delillo actually was the contemporary writer who I read a lot of while doing Citizens. I read a lot of him and I read his Paris Review interview with him many times, like over and over. Yeah. Uh, his books are all, well, his new one isn't, but a lot of his books between are really slim. He says that's the kind of novel he wants to write. I really want to write that kind of thing now. So it's kind of, it's now a challenge to be more to so stricter. Is that, is that yeah. your biggest challenge? Yeah, you, yeah. So is, is your biggest, are you flowery in the way you write? No, not at all. I just think I'm not, I don't have enough of a scalpel. I don't, like, if I go back to Beats Quotation, my first book, I'd love to take 
it was 120,000 yeah. words. I took 30,000 off. The, all the publisher, all the publisher said was take 30,000 words off. Yeah. So I, I left at 90. I wish I'd, I'd taken another 20. And if I was to go back to it now, I probably would. Yeah. But it was, it was, it's a debut. And that's what you do. It's, yeah. It is what it is. And, yeah. yeah. You have to leave it and move yeah. on to the next. But thing. the one thing I, I do, I think, to make me a better writer, I think change anything stylistically but I just think in the editing process to get, like, I think I am brutal enough but to be more brutal and just kind of push things further and really like, I really if I, go, if I write something next otherwise I tell you you're doing it the wrong way but I don't go past the 60-70,000 word yeah. limit I want to compress it and see if I can kind of say it say what I normally say but I'm yeah it's a, it's a good challenge to push yeah. your actual yeah. writing like you know you have a short story 5,000 yeah. words you could say yeah that's great I love it like that but then if you actually someone said to you we're not going to publish that unless it's 3,000 words you would make it yeah, you yeah. would make it yeah. so, so can I ask you about your path to publication then like, yeah. what were the significant steps you took to oh, two huge ones yeah. uh, best thing I ever did in 2010 2009 2010 I think I can't quite remember I did Sting and Floyd novel writing workshop okay and like, before that I'd, I'd written I'd written a book a novella like it was 21 and then I'd written a book called Burge 80,000 words I was 26 maybe no I wrote it from 26 to 28 and then I just put that forward for the not the Sting and Floyd novel yeah. okay. and they accepted me on that and I said to them when they accepted me it was Declan Mead and Sean O'Reilly and I said yeah do you mind if I give you my new book, I've started a new book, which was Beast Quotation, the book yeah. that we published. I said, no, no problem. So it just changed my life. That course yeah. changed my life. So I'd never done any sort of writing course. I'd never done anything like that before. Um, I literally, it was a six-month course. I believe people have said since it's meant to be like as good as a master's. Yeah, in, in, creative writing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in the six months, I wrote two-thirds of the book. Or in the six months, I would have written, I'd say, 70,000 words. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and did you do it full time or is it part time? No, it's, it's every, every it was every Monday, oh, two hours, yeah. you know. But I really made use of it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you could only have it was a group of ten people, like a writing group, yeah. and of all ages. Um, and so I really wanted to make use of it. And of course, Sean O'Reilly was leading it, so he shaped the book as well. Um, and that was incredible, incredible, the best thing, the best thing I've ever done. You know, always. Look back so they took you all the way through that process, then. Yeah, well, you would submit your work every. I think they're still doing it now. Yeah. You know, I gave a talk to them last last year. The group they had it was it was amazing to be asked back because yeah. every Saturday, every month they asked two writers to come in and talk. And I remember when I was doing the course, this is amazing. Cause you know, you never get to meet writers, so they had amazing writers come in. Michael Harding and Christine Dwyer Cookie, as people like that. And then I was asked to come back in yeah. to talk to people last year. That was amazing, boys. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so yeah, it's incredible. You know, I, I made use of that. Other people in the course didn't get past chapter two, let's say. Yeah. They kept rewriting, rewriting. Yeah. Whereas me, I just went, start. Start to Yeah, well, not quite to finish. Um, I would have started the course in September. It finished in April. And by then I had. Yeah, I two thirds done, and then from April to August, I wrote the last third, and then the, moved on to the next point for the yeah. big moments there. And then August, around August, October, I sent it away to the novel fair yeah. in the Irish Yeah. And so by March, then I did the novel fair, and that changed my life as well. Mm -hmm. I met liberties, but I also got emails for a lot of other people yeah. and stuff like that. And that you were then, you know, so that was me. You know, in the that's and then the book yeah. was picked up from there. The, book went to a lot of people, a lot of people liked it, a lot of agents liked it, they wanted changes. And another publisher who wasn't at the fair actually was really interested in it. But uh, yeah, I went with Liberty, so I was delighted. Yeah. That was my path, lucky, you know, because yeah. I, I skipped the slush pile. But, 
uh, undoubtedly the Sting and Floyd novel in the shop and the novel fair was so they're, they're your key key oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So, so would you have advice for people who are like five or six years behind where you are now like maybe not quite up to the first novel yet or? yeah I thought it was but it wasn't you know it, it took you know you, we're all readers if you're writing you're obviously a reader mm. you think you know how books work and like I'd written a thing as I said in a previous book called Dirge it was 80,000 words and I knew it was alright but it was, you know, it was crap as well I couldn't see why it was but then when I started doing the course I kind of realised you know it was, yeah. it was just lacking and so many things that make good kind of fiction that I didn't realise at the time if I was five or six years by starting again I'd, I'd get into a writer's group or get into a writer's course not necessarily an MFA you know uh, it's worked for so many people Colin Barrett being one you know but uh, I'd recommend Sting and Floyd yeah. Yeah. so you know I'd recommend it because it did change my life yeah. my writing life I, it was, I took it seriously enough that I obviously had written before yeah. 28 a few a lot I did a lot of short stories yeah. I forget this when I'm talking to people I'd say oh did you do any short stories I'd say I wrote about 80,000 words of short stories mm. in my 20s but I, I just found them on my Mac there about yeah. a year ago but I never did anything with them mm-hmm. you know just left them there but and I, did you I, feel I, they helped you develop as a writer 100% oh yeah, yeah. like someone said when I first beat my station oh the voice is amazing from page one I said yeah but that voice was the same voice I spent 80,000 words on in the terrible book called yeah. Dirge and yeah. so the voice took 80,000 words to land onto the yeah. new book he was the first person you know yeah. young 20 something voice so yeah that's how that worked uh, recommendation I'd say do a course do a writers group yeah. just to buzz off different people yeah. um, and novel fair the novel yeah. fair for me was you know it's just I skipped the queue yeah I, like that seems like a, such a because yeah. so much stuff goes in such a yeah. I don't know how um like I go to launches and stuff like that to people who are kind of meet true true writing and things yeah. like that but I, I'm no good at pressing the flesh I'm no good at yeah. going up to people and introducing myself and so I don't know how writers you know we don't tear us out the same bush but a lot of people just like to well writers because they like to be on, read on their own write yeah, their own. Yeah, yeah. so I would never be able to use a launch or a network yeah. like that I've seen people who I know network yeah. and like, they push their book on people and they push with yeah. their own people I could never do that so I was saved by the novel fair you know? yeah. so I could never see myself being pushy and saying, oh, he's hitting the script to read that. But it's such a funny thing because what you're actually asking someone to do is spend time on their own reading it, which is not something they can yeah. do in that context. So I, and I, yeah, so I'm the other side, I'm lucky now to have had a few people read uh, my first book and my second book. I had really great readers um, to help me with the second book. That was great. But I've been asked to read people's books and I feel really bad I'm a teacher I'm a full time teacher yeah. uh, two kids and I haven't had this I said something I haven't I literally have not got the time um, and I feel bad about that because you want to repay and you want to help people out with some of their books yeah you know it, but it is what people do you know it's, and they're really generous like that and I've had people do it to me so maybe at some stage if I get the, the time um, I'd love to, but I just don't have the time. Like if you're teaching, for me, if you're working and you're writing, you can't read. So yeah. I was just saying to you earlier, this summer I didn't do any writing. I read. Yeah. It's the choice you have to make. If yeah. but if you're, I'd love to be a full time writer. I mean, yeah. to read and write at the same time, but that's not going to happen. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't. I don't know yeah. anyone who is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I don't. I don't know. I mean, I mean, 
do you enjoy both sides of that part of your life that you're teaching and writing? Or is it something you'd like to spend more time on writing? Yeah, I'd love to spend more time on writing, but like, I can't see it actually yeah. happening anytime soon. And I've all that respect for people like contemporaries of mine, like Rob Doyle and Colin Barrett, who are full-time writers. Yeah. You know, fair play to them. But the way, the way I look at it, because obviously from my point of view, I have to in some way be happy with my situation, is that I'm under no pressure. I'm not saying that they are, but as a as a writer, I'm under no pressure. Yeah. I don't have to write to make money. Yeah. My job is whatever. So friends say to me, how many books did you sell? I genuinely don't care. I don't know how many citizens sold. I don't know about presentation. Um, don't know when the next book will be written. Um, I don't, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and then you, you have that freedom. Yes. That. Yeah. yeah. And then also, you don't need to worry. Is it going to be published? Yeah. So like something a bit more experimental. I'm hoping to do for the next piece. Yeah. I don't care. So have you started on your next one? Uh, yeah, but five, ten thousand words. But, uh, yeah. so I took a break for the summer. Yeah. I literally just read for the summer. So I need to be re-energized. You do. <laughs> you do. There is like we're all for breaks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 100%. Um, I thought it was interesting when I was reading about your book about the interaction of the personal and political. Yep. Um, was that a big driver for you? Did you want to make points about like political points bigger than just sim- simple personal experience? Um, <laughs> we're always in dangerous territory when we yeah. talk personal and political. Uh, the best person to... I just took the words of other people. Um, Rachel Kushner wrote an amazing book called The Flamethrowers. And this as a, as a, you know, again, as a, I kept myself as a novice. I read the book, Flamethrowers, by Rachel Kushner, and I loved it. And she's kind of in it. I just wanted to read what, I wanted to read interviews with her. So I read like 10, in, no, about five to six, seven, eight, nine, yeah, maybe 10 interviews with her. I just Googled her and wanted to see what she was saying because her book was kind of, not political in that, like, you know, it's for a political party, but she's kind of saying, making make statements about the world we're in. Well, it's about social place. And, yes, and all yeah, that I think, yeah. yeah, she was saying, you know, that the, the novel, a work of art should be go beyond the political, you know, a political novel would be polemical and you don't want that to be the case. But I think... If you're engaging in some way, especially like I was writing this book in 2013, 14, 15, on your own, in my study, you know, spare room, writing away, and you can't help but be influenced by what's going on in Ireland at the time. So it seeps into the writing and the person. And you're right, I was talking about the, the character was emigrating. Yeah. And if you if you askew, if you decide not to engage in any sort of political you're doing a disservice to not only the character but people who have emigrated. I've so many friends who have emigrated. Yeah. They've things to say and they've feelings and uh, I'm always wary of the word political, you know. Yeah, no, no, I mean, yeah. small, I know pe- small people political, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I think, I think the personal social movement. Yes, I think the personal, you know. the personal is the political. Simple as, you know, if you're getting into the personal and into situations like emigration, you can't help but be political. And by, by, by even addressing the issue of immigration and emigration, it becomes a political kind of statement but um, I was very wary of saying so it's not it's almost like a secondary thing for yeah. to create a real character in this socio-economic setting yeah. in addition to yeah. and I think in itself the, the socio-economic setting you pick in itself becomes political you know especially uh, yeah, just in Irish writing, it becomes political, you know. Um, yeah, as simple as that. <laughs> well, thank you so much Not for, at all. for this. So thank your, you for your book, Citizens, is yes. out, available out everywhere on Kindle, in bookshops and all those places. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, check it out. Thanks thank very much. much. So thanks to Kevin for talking to us and thanks to you for listening. You can get Kevin's books in good bookstores and the usual places. 
Um, they're published by Liberties Press. You can find out more about the podcast at irishwriterspodcast.com or all the usual places like Twitter and Facebook. Thank you.